You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. This is Locked On Hornets, your daily podcast on the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Search your podcast app for Locked On to get podcasts on the NBA, the NFL, MLB, and fantasy sports. I'm Doug Branson. I cover the team for FanRagSports.com. I'm also your humble host here live in the Gittimer.com studios in BEA, beautiful uptown Charlotte. I'm joined by my co-host, as always, the man, the myth, the legend. He's been covering the Hornets since they were the Bobcats, David Walker. David, this is going to be a fun show. Oh, without a doubt, Doug. You know what I remember about those early days covering the Bobcats? Mm-hmm. Not much. I was drinking a lot. <laughs> but what I do recall was that hasn't re- <laughs> that hasn't really changed. Uh, there was no Kimball Walker. You know, there was no notion that, well, things may be bad, but at least we have Kemba. Not this uh, Kemba. There was Kemba for a brief period in a Bobcats uniform, but not this Kemba Walker that we are going to talk about. The one who rips defeat out of, wait, rips victory out of the jaws of defeat. I'll get it. (laughs) And then he strangles defeat and throws defeat into a flaming garbage can. That's what he did last night against the New York Knicks. How's that for visuals? Mm, mm. So we're going to talk about that game, but also later in the show, Kimball Walker coming up on a contract year. He's in win-now mode, according to Rick Bennell and the Charlotte Observer. So what does that mean for the Charlotte Hornets and Kimball Walker's future here in the Queen City? We'll talk about that. Plus, it's Twitter Tuesday. We asked for your questions on Twitter at Locked On Hornets, and we got a few, so we're going to discuss those throughout the show. Is Kimba an all-NBA candidate? Can Malik Monk develop in Charlotte? Is it possible? And we've got more coming up throughout the show. But first, let's chat about this game last night against the New York Knicks. The Hornets get their fourth win in a row, 137-128 to in overtime. David, the story Obviously, uh, on the Hornets' side is Kimba Walker, 11 of 21 from the field, uh, hit four, uh, well, he hit three three-pointers in overtime, but hit his last four after going 0 of 8 from beyond the arc, 31 points in this one, seven assists. He scored or assisted on uh, all baskets in overtime, and then uh, Dwight hit those uh, a few free throws there at the end. But an absolutely outstanding game from the captain, uh, they were in control most of this game, had a 13-point lead at halftime, uh, but then we'll get into why New York was able to get back into this game. But first, l- I mean, what did you see from Kemba Walker last night, David? Oh, vintage Kemba there. Yeah, I was a little upset because I was calling for 51 points last night so he could break Dale Curry's franchise scoring record. That did not happen. But, man, if he didn't make a run at it late, uh, got off to a bit of a slow start, and you mentioned the struggles from behind the three-point line through most of the game, but that's just Kemba, man. I mean, honestly, that's been something that even Steve Clifford said going back to his rookie year when he wasn't shooting with the right, with the same efficiency, Mm -hmm. he was never afraid to take the big shot. Clifford and the team have always been comfortable with him doing that. And he did it time after time again, down the stretch last night and really upstaged a huge game from Trey Burke, who had 42 points for the Knicks. 
but Kemba Walker not to be denied on his home court and just put on a show, I think, really for the folks that were there and that were watching. And that's fun to see, especially for the team where they are. But yeah, man, Kemba just coming through in the clutch again. Yeah, that third quarter was big for the New York Knicks to get back into this game. The the Hornets allowed 33 points. Beasley, uh, Michael Beasley and Trey Burke combined to go 13 of 16 with Burke taking and missing the only three-point attempt between them. So it was all inside. Trey Burke hitting a lot of step-back jumpers. Trey Burke looking very Kimba Walker-esque. And I think Hornacek made that comparison after the game, said you know, he has that ability to sort of drive, stop on a dime, and have enough legs to get the shot up and in. And Burke just turned into an MVP candidate there for a little bit. It's funny, David, before this game, I was looking up for the all-NBA question, uh, the Twitter question that we got about Kimball Walker, and Trey. I was looking at the Hollinger PER stats on ESPN, and Trey Burke, though he's only played in 28 games, and he just barely qualifies to be on the PER list for point guards, he's up there. It's like seven or six. He's right above Kimball Walker in terms of PER. He's made a big impact uh, on a non-guaranteed contract for New York, so props to him. But back to Kimba, it's pretty amazing that he was able to do all that he did in overtime and at the end of that game uh, to get them to overtime and still managed to play defense on that last possession versus Trey Burke, who waved off his coach, waved off everyone, and you sort of get that leeway if you're Trey Burke after the performance that you had. But he took it on his own, and it was him versus Kemba, one-on-one, mano-e-mano, and Kemba Walker uh, had enough defense without fouling, pressured Trey Burke, made him miss that shot, and had Trey Burke gotten a clean look there at the end of regulation, I'm fairly certain it would have gone in because he was hitting Absolutely everything. Uh, The other thing to note, David, you mentioned the scoring record. So he was 51 away going into that game and and had had his struggles from the field. As we mentioned, missed his first eight three-point attempts, only had 20 points at the end of regulation, adds 11, and really that overtime set him up to be able to break that franchise scoring record at home on Wednesday against Cleveland. Now only needs 20 points. He's averaging nearly 25 a game, so it now becomes a very real possibility, something I know fans want to see, want to see it happen at home. Kimball Walker has stated he really, really, really wants to break this record at home in front of the home crowd, in front of Charlotte. So uh, exciting game all around, and you just really have to be impressed with the effort that the Charlotte Hornets are showing right now. Again, not a ton to play for. They are not mathematically eliminated But at the same time, their big players are stepping up in big moments. And it's not just Kimba and Dwight. Am I right, David? Uh, Yeah, 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 you are. I thought you were (laughs) going to. This is your cue. a couple guys. Sorry. That was my cue. Uh, Yeah, well, the bench came up big last night, too, Doug. I mean, outscoring the Knicks there uh, in their role, so helping them. But I mean, Jeremy Lamb is such an interesting watch, and he has been all year. And uh, I believe Matt Carroll mentioned on the radio call last night, which I caught a little bit of, you know, he makes it look so easy or he, he makes it look so effortless when he's doing things from driving to, to shooting the ball that it almost looks like he's not trying. But, I mean, we know how he plays from watching him uh, these past couple of years and over this past year when he's made a big jump. But, you know, he had 12 points last night, hit some big threes down the stretch too. And he and Frank Kaminsky, um, as well as, hey, Hernan Gomez, right? And I was pretty impressed with the play we got from him. Yeah, absolutely. His ability to rebound in traffic was something that Steve Clifford mentioned before the game that he's been impressed with in terms of Hernan Gomez. And 
Hernan Gomez, is, his ability to tip in shots that almost seem to break physics. Like, it doesn't quite make sense how some of these tip-ins are going in for Hernan Gomez, but he's making it happen. Uh, what did he finish with in this game? Yeah, three offensive 11, rebounds. 12. And, and yeah, 12 points. I feel like those three offensive <clears throat> rebounds, a few of those mm-hmm. were putbacks, and he gives the team that same second-chance opportunity that Dwight Howard gives the team when he's on the floor. So there's not much of a let-up. And, and I've said this before, I really feel like Hernan Gomez is Cody Zeller light. He is Cody Zeller-esque with his ability to get up and down the floor quickly uh, to make sure that uh, Ennis Cantor did not get any uh, transition opportunities, did a good job with that, but 507 from the field. And then Lamb, too, had the rebound at the end of regulation to set up the Kimball Walker shot at the end of the game. So he was making hustle plays out there, getting on the floor for loose balls. I think his development is – and he also had that great – uh, pump fake, uh, and and he, he got a guy to uh, mm-hmm. bite on it and went to the foul line. Just making certain little veteran-savvy moves, Jeremy Lamb is, that we haven't always been accustomed to him making, and I think it shows his maturity uh, as a player these past couple of seasons. So, yeah, I think yeah. it was a full-team effort uh, to get this victory over the Knicks, their fourth straight. And, and, and we would be remiss if we didn't mention Malik Monk Four of seven from the field, three of six from three in 15 minutes. So starting to see a little more efficiency, a little more good use of time. And shot selection, like he, yep. well, the minutes came down. That was a big part of it. He wasn't. They they started to play the veterans a little more. That they played Dwayne Bacon 30 plus minutes in this game, but they didn't play Malik Monk as much. But he, but he was making good decisions when he was on the floor and knocking down shots. And so that's going to be important for his development, but he was really struggling. Uh, he was struggling defensively in this game, as everyone was, with Trey sure, Burke sure. and then uh, Frank Nilakina as well, who somehow managed to foul out of the game in eight, at less than 18 minutes. <laughs> That's impressive, um, yeah. Frankie. No, I'm glad you mentioned Bacon because it's so interesting to see he and Monk, right, get the chances now. And then you look down at a, at a game like last night, and then the stats would tend to favor Monk, just the scoring and the shooting. Mm-hmm. But Bacon definitely had some good contributions. And you mentioned played 30 minutes. So is clearly trusted to be in there by Clifford. Uh, can step up a little more on defense. And is not afraid to take a shot. Over one from three, three from seven from the field last night. But still looks, you know, rather comfortable. And, yeah, I, I mean – there were people or there were calls for Monk to, to step step up on D against Trey Burke last night. But as you said, no one could stop Trey Burke last night. And uh, a name that we had mentioned briefly, Doug, you know, in our free agent finders along the way. And one that just, as you said, ended up with the Knicks on a, on a little short-term contract here. All right, so the Heat play Cleveland and Miami tonight. And the Bucks are out in Los Angeles to take on a Clippers team fighting for a playoff spot. If they both lose, David, and if the no. Hornets beat the Cavaliers on Wednesday, is it possible? <laughs> no, probably not. I'm shocked. I, I'm honestly shocked. I, I was always thankful that they had put this to bed so early for us, Doug. I think it's helped us move on a little bit, or at least maybe but this we isn't put it helping. To bed. This isn't helping. So, so Miami <laughs> no, has the tiebreaker. Miami has the tiebreaker. So they would have to finish completely under 500, meaning that they could only they could only win one of their remaining seven or eight games, and then Charlotte would have to win out to get over Miami. Now, they do have the tiebreaker over Milwaukee because they tied the series 2-2, and the Hornets have a better 
division record uh, so far, 10-4 and four in their division, Milwaukee 6-10. and 10. So they would have the tiebreaker over Milwaukee, but Milwaukee at 39-34, and 34, they've won two in a row. So it's not really possible. But it is, it's, it's amazing that they are still even in the conversation this late with how, uh, how badly they were playing before this little, this little stretch run. But it is, I think, exciting to see some of the best players step up. Uh, David, we have to take a short pause. We're going to be back to talk about Kimba Walker. We'll continue to talk about him, his future in Charlotte. Rick Bennell got some interesting quotes. We'll get to those. Plus... We've got your questions. It's a Twitter Tuesday here on Locked On Hornets on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets Podcast. Think about that. If they won 15 games, if they win 15-0, they'd be a lot better. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Breaking news. Yeah. Breaking news. Hold that sound bite. You know I wasn't about to try to do some math. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. A Twitter Tuesday here on Locked on Hornets. We asked for your questions on the Hornets, the NBA, really anything on Twitter at Locked on Hornets. And we have a few Danny on the chat forwarded us a YouTube link of uh, Gerson Rosas, an executive with the Houston Rockets and serious candidate for the Hornets Open GM position. He was speaking at the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference on a panel on draft day analytics. Some interesting quotes throughout, and I've selected a few, David, if you'd like uh, to hear them. I don't know if you got a chance to watch this. It was a long one. Uh, we can put the link in the show notes if you want to check it out. But Rosas, a serious candidate for general for the next general manager of the Charlotte Hornets, so it's always good to hear what he thinks yeah. on anything uh, front office, personnel, uh, team building related. So I've got a few quotes here. On evaluating draft talent, he said, quote, We all have very similar information. It's all in how you apply it. There's no secret formula. You get the best information you can get, and you process it as a group. When you evaluate a prospect, it's not just who's highest on the guy, it's who's lowest on the guy. You can't enumerate everything. That's interesting. Because Rosas sort of viewed as, as someone who is strong with his analytics game, but he yep. also has that perspective. Hey, you can't, you can't go by the numbers on everything. You still have to rely a little bit on traditional... Uh, uh, NBA guys who who have been around the game for a long time and who know the game and say, can this guy play? I think that's my favorite part of of what he brings to the table, Doug, is his ability to combine those two things. Because I think that's where you really find the sweet spot. I mean, analytics is not going away, but the knowledge of the game is not either. And that's my favorite thing about uh, Rosas potentially coming in and, and bringing kind of that new mix of, uh, you know, that mix of, of new and old uh, traditional type and and maybe – uh, forward thinking to the GM spot. On selecting the right player for your organization, he says, you don't make the pick for the market. You make the pick for you. I think that's important too. When you look back at maybe some of their previous selections could have been, I think you could argue that some of those selections, including Malik Monk, were a little bit, they, there was a little bit of a market factor in there. 
and saying, mm-hmm. you know, Rosa saying, look, you make the part, you make the pick for your team, not necessarily for the market, and not necessarily because a player, you know, a popular player falls to you. You make the pick based on, you know, who you think the absolute best player is for your organization. And then finally, when asked what the next trend is for the NBA, he discussed the defensive reaction to the pace and space era that we're in now, that we might see a resurgence of defense-first coaches and defense-first players having more prominence in the league and in the draft. So that's interesting as well, his, his sort of perspective on defense being the next revolution in the NBA. Well, isn't that the most interesting thing? I mean, that was the most interesting one that stood out to me, given the fact that, hey, Steve Clifford is a defensive-minded coach. Uh, they've got several defensive-minded players on the team. You know, that was kind of kind of interesting little peek into his thinking there. All right, we'll have more Twitter Tuesday questions coming up throughout the show, but I have to get to these quotes that Rick Bennell got from Kimba Walker. Uh, this was before the Knicks game. Here's the quote from his article, uh, his late, one of his latest columns in the Charlotte Observer. This is from Kimba Walker, quote, Whenever we get a new general manager – We'll see what direction he wants to go, and I'll make the best decision for me, unquote. Absolutely. He should. In the offseason, I mean, that's what you want him to do. But if you listen to our show, when did we have Rick on? Two weeks ago? Yes. You know, he kind of hinted at some of this in talking with Kimba and mentioned the first kind of crack in the in, in the armor of Kimbo just saying, I I want to be here, you know, without without a doubt, regardless of what goes on. This is natural though. And I think the reality of this season setting in now for Kimba has him looking at things a little differently and just wants to see. I mean, that's fair. He should be able to see what is going to happen next. And he's in the prime of his career. And I think a lot of people would argue that he deserves to be in a spot where he has a chance to at least play in the playoffs every year. He says, quote, I've always felt like I'm a winning player, like I deserved like I deserved it to be in the playoffs, to be battling. That's what it will be all about in the future. He, he's pretty clear in this article. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to yeah. read too far between the lines to come to the conclusion that Kimba Walker is most likely not interested in another and being part of another Charlotte rebuild. Remember, right. he was already part of one. He came in at the beginning of the of the first rebuild that led to the Michael Kidd-Gilchrist selection, that led to the, uh, the the Charlotte Hornets that you see today, the Nick Batum acquisition, that 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 teardown that began with with Rich Cho, his teardown and rebuild and signing Al Jefferson and getting the Bobcats to the playoffs and then two years later getting the Hornets to the playoffs, he was part of that. So he's seen the depths of where a team can go. In fact, he's seen the lowest depths in NBA history, 7-59. and 59. Lowest win percentage for a team in NBA history. Like He's been to the bottom, and, and I think there's a part of him that goes, wait a minute, I've had a few knee procedures, I'm getting late in my career, I I mean I like all of these all of these other NBA players want to compete. What do we always talk about in free agency, David? Players are less interested in market. They're less interested in their own a city's ability to give them what they need. They're more interested in what a basketball team can give them 
in terms of putting a winning product on the floor that allows them to play in the postseason, not only play in the postseason, but also compete in the postseason. And think about where Kimba's been over the last two years, right? Two consecutive all-star appearances. That's two consecutive all-star weekends, kind of being in that class, being in the upper echelon of players in the NBA. And those guys are still competitive. And those, those guys, most of them, you know, are competing at the highest level in the playoffs in the postseason, right? So he sees that. He sees that among his this peer group, and and he's not really part of that. So uh, it's only natural for him to say, hey, you know, I want a piece of that as well. Does that, you know, as someone that's been watching the Hornets and watched Kemba, does that either make you worry or does that give you cause for concern or does that rub you the wrong way? How, how does that, how do you think that's initially going to react with most Hornets fans that are watching? I, th- I think most Hornets fans are going to react in the way that I'm reacting right now, which is, yeah, Kimba's right. Yeah, He spent two seasons essentially having to save this team from absolute obscurity. Last night's Knicks game was uh, not an exception. It was the rule. That's mm-hmm. what Kimba has had to do for two seasons now come in not only in the fourth quarter, but he has to do it in the second quarter too, has to come in when this when this uh, second unit that they have not been able to build for two seasons now, Flounders, come in and and be uh, absolute uh, be an absolute superhero to get this team uh, back into contention game after game. And and I, I think that has to be frustrating on some level. And the fact that he's the sixth highest paid player on the team, and the fact that this sure. team is not competing for a playoff spot, all of those <laughs> are very, I'm sure, very frustrating things to a player that you you saw it last night. I mean, he is the ultimate competitor. Mm-hmm. I, I, like I would put him in terms of 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 the, the those rabid those those absolutely insane competitors that we have in the NBA. I mean, I'd put him top five. I'd put him right there with with LeBron James. I'd put him right there with with uh, uh, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. Those those yeah. guys who are just going to absolutely cut your heart out for a victory. Yeah, the guys that you have to take their head off to to stop them. I know it's amazing to see. It's special to have someone like that on the team. So a guy that is across the board, pretty much someone that other fans can point to and say, "Yeah, I'd like to have that guy on my team." And maybe that's why you know, Doug. Maybe. That's why I am so in favor of them doing whatever they can to keep him because of the savior he's been to the night in, night out fan, right? To the people that have had to watch, not had to, but we have, we had to watch all these games. So the people that have watched the last three seasons, the last two in particular, and when he's been the only saving grace, right? You do, I mean, I've developed a certain affinity for that. It's like, well, at least I can see what Kemba might do tonight. So I, I'm fully admitted that I'm, I'm I'm biased in this when this comes to like moving on from Kemba. Um, it, it's tough to imagine the Hornets without him and having to tune into them every night. I I love these headlines from the past couple of Benel articles. Something Hornets Kemba Walker calls just not fun could force him out of Charlotte, and that was after this headline: Will Hornets Dwayne Bacon be a bigger catch? than Malik Monk. <laughs> There's a little oh, bit of boy. needling going on there, I feel like. You don't think they, those are up on the bulletin board? Or maybe they are up on the bulletin board. It's <laughs> funny. This is great. I, I feel like this this organization, I said this last season, it needs to be needled by the media, I feel like. 
it needs to there be should held. be a level of uncomfort, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You why why would you want your franchise to miss the playoffs for two straight seasons, even though they've spent a lot of money and brought a lot of players in and made a lot of moves? They still can't make the playoffs. Why would you want that organization not to be held to account? Mm, yep. And told, hey, this is not hey, you it's been a while since you've drafted a player and had that player hit. It's been a while since you've made the playoffs and, and been a significant factor. So I, I think it's I think it's completely in bounds. Uh but that's just the headlines are great. Because yeah. <laughs> they're they're just they're there's they're they're borderline clickbait. And I'm here for it. This is Locked On Hornets. Our boys got to go Cobra Kai. We got to go 80s villain defense. Grow a goatee. Do the uh, gladiators stab him real quick in the ribs before the game? Have an Eastern game. European accent. Only on the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Uh, all right, let's get to another Twitter question. Our friend Rich from across the pond asks, do you think Marvin Williams and MKG have been told they are out? (laughs) I guess that means like out, like trick. No, I I think, I don't think that the organization does that. I don't think that's how you operate an organization, but they are struggling this month, though Marvin has had a resurgence over the past couple of games and made some big plays. And and MKG too, to a certain extent, I feel like he was – he was a, a quiet factor in that Knicks victory, uh, uh, making several uh, defensive stops and, and getting a few key rebounds as well. Uh, now, do I think that either of them are, you know, completely untouchable? I think no. I mean, you you saw David uh, Steve Clifford playing Bacon late in that game in place of Michael Kidd Gilchrist. And I think that's something you could see definitely next season. And we've seen from Steve Clifford, Clifford before playing MKG to start the game and then going with somebody that's a little more adept on the offensive end uh, at the end of games. And Bacon yeah. is – he's one of these – I said this uh, to uh, uh, someone last night. He's hes one of these players, and you, you often see these, these young guys come in and you go, man, like he everything looks good. The setup, the shot, the way he gets to his spot, and the ball's just not quite going in. You know, it's not missing horribly. Yep. It's just not quite going in. There's just a little piece that's missing from his ability to put the ball into the cup. And sometimes guys never figure that out and they wash out. I don't think that's going to be the case with Bacon. I'm fully confident he's going to figure out his offensive game and how to knock down those mid-range shots that he so beautifully sets up. It reminds me a little bit of C.J. McCollum and his early struggles and he, I mean, he didn't come into the league that first season, gangbusters on offense. It was that second year because there were a lot of those moments with McCollum where you went, man, like this guy has all the offensive tools in the world. The ball's just not going in right now. And and I feel that yeah, same but way you about can't, You can't have McCollum. You know that that's I've already taken the McCollum comp for uh, Monk, so you have to choose someone else. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you're right. That's what I said earlier. He looks, it doesn't look out of place. Like he looks comfortable out there. It's just not thong. And maybe he's one of these guys that just goes on a hot streak every once in a while. Like he can develop into that too. Well, it helps when you can play defense when you're when you're committed yep. and have the size yep. and strength to play defense. That's gonna that's going to help him as well. Uh Rich also says that he has a George Zedek rookie card. Mm, 
Rich, 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 rich. That's a good one. What's the What's the most? Do you Do you even have any more basketball cards? Do you have something laying around? What's the most obscure card that you held on to? If you don't, um, if you don't still have them, like what's the yeah. most obscure one that you you had on, held on to for a while? I don't know how obscure this is. It's the Larry Johnson draft day card. Ooh. One of my faves. It's a great one. I have a Doc he's Rivers. On the phone. Do you know what I'm talking card? about? He's got the hat on. He's like leaning over the, the table. He's on the phone talking to, I don't know, Alan Bristow or somebody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have a Doc Rivers rookie card. But it's oh. just, it's not, it's not anything special. It's just like, oh, that guy's, guy's a coach now. Yeah. Uh, Mike asks, I know the Hornets have not been uh, so good lately, but any chance Kemba sneaks into the all-NBA conversation? He's been piling on the stats this year. David, what do you think? Kemba Walker in in any of the all-NBA discussions? I think he answered his own question there. Um, Although I think it's maybe a little easier or a little more – people can convince themselves a little easier to put people – to players and that haven't had team success in those NBA All Star because like, I'm just thinking back to Al's Big Al's third team nod, but I think the guard position is so heavy right now. It's so loaded down with talent, and you've got McCollum and you got Lillard and you got all these players doing well with their teams. It's going to be tough for Kemba to crack that in my eyes. I want a Darren Ravel in a Hawks jersey on the floor with hot sauce standing over him. I want that rookie card. <laughs> That's uh, their giveaway on the last night of the season for the Hawks. <laughs> He's had some uh, back to Kemba. He's had some great games this season, uh, but his numbers have lagged slightly behind last year's numbers for most of the season. This little surge that he's put together late has pulled some of them very close to last season, where it's almost identical at this point. But last season he wasn't all in the All NBA discussion. Uh, this season, uh, you won't have too many players drop out from the guard position. I was looking over this. Uh, you really, Isaiah Thomas for sure will drop out, obviously because he's in the Western Conference, but also because the future of his career is is in question. But then you have uh, Jimmy Butler, Kyrie Irving, and Victor Oladipo. I don't know why I made the, a Western Conference mention. This is an Eastern Conference, Western Conference. But That's Isaiah right. Thomas will drop out. I'm, I'm still yeah. in All Star mode. But uh, Jimmy Butler, Kyrie Irving, Victor Oladipo will all have cases that are fairly stronger. Than than Kemba's, I think uh, Butler and Oladipo may push DeRozan to the edge of All NBA, mm. and John yeah, Wall. I mean, John tough, Wall like, might look, John Wall might drop out as well. Yeah, I look look who we're talking about. It's just crazy. I mean, DeRozan is playing out of his mind lately too. So yeah, it's gonna be tough. Yeah, it's, I, I mean, the, the, by, listen, by tough, I mean impossible. We're we're in we're in a we're in a a guard revolution, and I was looking at those Golden PR age. PR numbers, and Kemba eighth in that in that category amongst point guards, because the point guard crop is so loaded uh, down this yep. season. Uh, do we have one? I think we have one more Twitter question. Deserves to be in the conversation, though. I'll say that it's just it's just really hard to crack that right now. Oh, real quick, let's get to this one, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, Shane writes, hey, guys, I'd like to know what you think about the Malik Monk situation. Could have a young Lou Williams in the making. The onus is on the coaching staff to develop these guys, something we are clearly not very good at. Kimba mm. is the only win. What do you think about that take? Well, that, that, that hot take. Drop that in the bucket. That's right. <laughs> The onus is on the coaching staff to develop these guys, something that we are clearly 
not very good at. In fact, we are terrible at developing players. Name me one player outside of Kemba that the Hornets have successfully developed into a legitimate NBA threat. Go ahead, name it. There you go. I, just, I just I thought it was a good. I was I thought it was a a very uh, very warm take by Shane. I wanted to make it a hot it take. It was on the verge. So of, I had to uh, throw it in the machine. Yeah, no. I mean, I think Lamb has come on this season, so you maybe can give some credit there. But I mean, the, that point is fair, and that's one that's been made here and in other places, you know, this whole way through. Certainly, they, they've got to be able to develop some of these guys. How much, though, Doug, can they be expected to, to develop some of these draft picks, I guess is the question, right? Well, you have, well, that's the thing. You have to, you have to draft players that mm-hmm. have skills that can develop, and you have to draft players that are willing to develop those skills. He mentions Kemba. Here's the thing, Shane. Like the coaches didn't force Kimba into the gym to work on his game all the time. Like, all every like day. yeah, every single like day. Right now, working on his three point shot after year four, it right. was his desire and will to get better. He saw other players and what they were doing around the league to get into All Star contention, and he wanted that for himself. He was facilitated by respected shooting coaches, like several players who have reformed their shot in Charlotte. And that helped him, uh, you know, get his shot where it needed to be. But but it took him four years. Here's the second thing. I would argue you know, that drafting talent without a ton to develop is more responsible for their reputation than the staff. The Hornets have had some recent development successes in Travion Graham and Jeremy Lamb. Uh, but so much of this, David, I think is a mix of factors. I go back. We mm-hmm. mentioned uh, that panel that uh, Garrison Rosas did at Sloan. And he was with Jonathan Gavoni as well, uh, now of ESPN, but formerly of uh, Draft Express. And they were asked what data they wanted that they couldn't have. And you know what both of them said? Do you remember? No, I don't. <laughs> Psychological. Oh, wow. And, and that says it all. You cannot know for sure if the guy that you are taking it whether or or the guy that you were acquiring in free agency, even though you have a ton of data on them, you just can't know for sure if that if that player is going to be able, in terms of the draft, to be able to handle the NBA lifestyle. And in terms of any player that you acquire, you don't know for sure if they have the psychological makeup to continue to want to improve their game. So when I look at Malik Monk and Dwayne Bacon both, and Frank Kaminsky for that matter, those players will develop. Uh, if they want to develop, it's yeah, so so much of this is personal desire. I feel like, yeah, maybe we put a pin on this, Doug, because I think this is a valid thing to look at. Maybe it's something we can look at in the offseason, kind of individually, where these players improved, how much they could have legitimately been expected to improve based on where they came in. You know, based on where they came in. So, yeah, a definite issue for the team, and a definite that's a good question. All right, thanks for all of those questions on Twitter. You can submit your questions anytime to us at Locked On Hornets, and we will get to them uh, next Tuesday on on the next Twitter Tuesday. Tomorrow, we've got Gavin Shaw back in the building. Know it's Shaw. Shaw about the draft. Shaw in on the NBA draft. Shaw about the Benjamins. <laughs> That's it. That's all I can. I'm going to think of some more. I'm going to think of some more for tomorrow. But Gavin Shaw of Locked On Nets. 
will be uh, here to help us break down some more NBA draft questions. So if you're interested in that, join us tomorrow. And uh, then Thursday, we've got Power Thursdays and then Fun Friday coming up. So a lot more to get to this week. Thanks for hanging with us here on Locked On Hornets. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram at Locked On Hornets. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. All you have to do is search Locked On Hornets and also tell a friend that we're talking about the Hornets, we're talking about the NBA, and uh, we're taking your questions as well. We'll see you tomorrow. For David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte!